Greetings all and welcome to Margin Call, the podcast and editorial meeting for Quest On Media. I'm your host, Russell Morris. Uh, welcome, folks. Today is a very special episode, special to me, uh, special to San Franciscans for a lot of different reasons, uh, primarily uh, because of our subject matter tonight. Uh, we're going to be discussing the new film, The Last Black Man in San Francisco, which I heard so much about from the second it opened uh, from fellow native San Franciscans. Everybody I knew sent me a message. Have you seen The Last Black Man in San Francisco yet? Have you seen it? And I'll say, no, is it good? They'd be like, I don't want to tell you anything about it. Just go see it. Everybody said exactly the same thing, uh, which I felt like was a good sign. Um, I happen to be in San Francisco now visiting from New York. I waited until I got here to see it because I felt like it was right to see it in San Francisco. Uh, and I was not disappointed. In fact, I was very, very moved by that film. Uh, and I'm joined today, and this is part of the reason that it's such a special uh, episode tonight by two old, old friends, people I've known uh, over 20 years, really, if you do the math, uh, 40 years combined. <laughs> um, Josue Rojas, who you all know, he's been on the show before. Um, it's, it's great to have you, man. Uh, a fellow San Franciscan uh, from the mission who's also lived in the point and little Hollywood and all over real, real scope cat. Uh, and of course, Charlie, who used to be on the show a lot. It's been a minute. It's great to have you back. Another San Francisco native. I'm sure all three of us have a lot of strong feelings about this film. I'm happy to let this conversation go any direction it needs to go. Uh, and I'm sure all of us, uh, have plenty of things to say. So welcome Josue. Welcome Charlie. Uh, welcome to our listeners. I think you're really in for a treat. Uh, although I should tell people, if you haven't seen this film, we're talking about everything. So if you don't want your opinion to be tainted and you don't want any spoilers, I mean, you know, Eming, our producer, reminded us how important spoilers are. It's not like the Avengers. We're not, we're not telling you who dies in Endgame. There's no surprise twist. It's not a Shyamalan movie, but we will be discussing details from the film. And if you haven't seen it yet uh, and you want to wait to listen to the podcast until you have, we understand that. Uh, so with that said, you know, everybody knows I have a throat clearing problem. I talk a lot before I talk and then I talk more. But intro is done. <laughs> uh, welcome to both of you. Uh, and I, I know that you have both seen the film, so we can just jump right in. Um, you know, I don't, I don't want to disrespect any other films. You know, La Mission, you know, they tried really good. You know, they tried to do a good film about the mission. And it was, you know, it didn't really hit home. And it certainly didn't hit home the way this film did. So, um, you know, I think... Um, San Francisco is a really hard thing to get right in, in art, you know, uh, with paintings or with music or with uh, film, particularly, you know, it's really hard to get it right. And I think they, that's the magic of what they did. And, and I think, uh, you know, we've talked a little bit about, you know, this photographer, Ted Pashinsky, who was a really big influence on a lot of different skaters and artists and photographers and thinkers. But, you know, one of the things is that you don't get the soul of San Francisco from, you know, a picture of a cable car. You don't get the soul of San Francisco from a picture of, of the Golden Gate Bridge. Like, you get the soul of San Francisco from the magic that comes from hopping on the back of your friend's uh, bicycle, both of you going for a ride. Or, you know, in the f case of this film, like, the first few minutes, you just see these two guys, like, hopping on a single skateboard. 
and you know skating through these different neighborhoods and in one case it's uh they skate through the the tenderloin and you know encounter some really weird characters and you know, trying to go on this ride with them. And it's just kind of, that's how San Francisco is going to hit you, right? Like the real San Francisco, it, it's kind of smelly. It wants to interact with you. Sometimes you don't want to interact with it. And then you realize like how charming and funny uh, everybody really is. And, and sometimes it's dangerous, but sometimes it's all love. And, you know, sometimes it's just mixed, you know, and, and uh, it was really funny. I mean, I just really like these quirky scenes where, you know, he's having this existential uh, the char- the main character Jimmy Fails is having this like existential uh, dilemma, and he's sitting there like, "What the fuck? You know, what am I gonna do?" And he's having a real down moment. And naked dude, uh, a naked dude just proceeds to pull out a napkin and sit down next to him, and then they get interrupted by these techie cats, like you know, yelling like, "This guy fucks!" You know, at the naked dude. Yeah. And everybody just being like, "What?" You know, like every single person in that scene is like, yeah. what? And I mean, yeah. um, one of the, to come back to Ted Pashinsky, one of the things that I really do deeply believe in my heart is that if you stay on any corner of San Francisco long enough, literally, if you sit on any corner of San Francisco long enough, you're going to see some wild shit. You know what I mean? And it, it, you have to be kind of ready to catch it or deal with it or look at it or you know, if you're an artist, capture that lightning, you know, and I think, um, I think that's one of the things that they do right, you know, uh, I don't mind, yeah. you know, and so I think this is just kind of funny and quirky and, and tragic, you know, in some cases, and, um, you know, and then we're, we're, we're also at the same time, you know, many cases fighting to stay here, so, you know, you're dealing with, the, with these things, you, you know, you're growing up, you know, I remember a lot of the wildest uh, experiences I had around being evicted right like these conflicting feelings they were confounded they were just compounded really by also coming of age you know also dealing with losing friends um so it was just all these things all at once and um i mean it resonated with me and because of that too you know these these mixed moments you know kind of a lot all at once I'm I'm really glad you mentioned the scene with the nudist it's one of my favorite scenes in the film even though it's kind of inconsequential in a lot of ways um because you know you have like a a guy an older white guy who you know is like has made this choice like hey i'm a nudist you know i want to be naked in the world that's how i feel most comfortable um and uh you know the 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 main character of the film who's sitting there next to him like he he gets that you know what i'm saying like he's not he doesn't look at him then move he doesn't like get up and leave and thinks there's something wrong with this guy uh, he doesn't even really look again. He looks over and is like, okay, now there's a person sitting next to me. And the, those two guys who you would assume like, oh, are opposite ends of the human spectrum uh, are not. They're coexisting because that's the nature of San Francisco. And, that's right. They own San Francisco. Yeah, and then those two Francisco are the real San Francisco. Pull up all of them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and there was nothing, to me, I, I thought the same thing because I grew up here. I was like, there's nothing weird about a guy who lives his life, life naked, waiting for the bus naked, you know, like, and right. I, 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 I too respect his dignity. Cause I know that if you want to be a nudist, a public nudist, uh, there's not a lot of places you can do that, but San Francisco is one of them. And we know that he know, we, you know, the main character, he's an outcast too. 
right? Like he wants to, he's, he has this duality. It's, it's, it's his quote at the end that's so powerful where he says people aren't just one thing, you know? And that naked guy is not just a naked guy. He's a man with dignity who tried to find a place where he could live the way he wanted to live and he found it here. Uh, and, and, you know, the same thing is true for that main character. And I love the idea that the outsiders and the weirdos in that film are the people who don't respect the dignity of the naked guy. You know what I'm saying? Like, they, they were the freaks. Thought, I thought it was also one of those weird San Francisco dichotomies where, like, a lot of the times uh, Black people don't get to kind of embrace San Francisco's San Francisco-ness uh, in the same way that kind of white people do. You know what I'm saying? Or at yeah, least yeah. I'm from I'm I'm from Hunter's Point. So I can tell you from the experience of a Hunter's Point dude, a lot of us never see uh like uh that cross, uh that yeah. Russian cross. You know what I'm saying? A lot of us never go to Twin Peaks or Coit Tower. A lot yeah. of us never see like landmarks a lot of us never really venture far outside of our hood you know what i'm saying i so, was shocked I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that in particular and we're talking a lot about the golden gate bridge because it's but one of like a really memorable moment in my life that perspectivized things for me is when i was in juvenile hall you know a lot of people would come through there and talk to us and say like hey man you know like whatever motivational speakers people who have been through it before people have been locked up you know good good people who are trying to help young people and at one point, one of these speakers, you know, to a room full of, you know, whatever, we were 16 years old, a bunch of kids locked up. He said, you got to get out of your environment, you know, like, and I don't just mean your house. I mean, you know, get get out of your hood, go see something new. And he asked the room full of people, how many people in here have been across the Golden Gate Bridge, right? And, and there were maybe, you know, it was one unit. It was B4. So there were whatever, 30 of us in there. Only a few of us had ever been across the Golden Gate Bridge. You know, mo most people and it, was, and it was probably like on a kindergarten through fifth grade, sixth grade yeah. trip where the elementaries used to take kids across the bridge. Like, yeah, yeah, you know I mean? yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. They so, were like, oh, no, yeah. I remember when, you know, my teacher one time, maybe. But, I, you know, I, it really perspectivized things for me and it helped me to understand my place because I was like, yeah, you know, I'm locked up, whatever. But like I have my own. um you know, within this space, I have to recognize my own different experiences. Like, oh yeah, I have been across the the Golden Gate Bridge before. It's like, you know, my dad had friends who lived in Marin. You know what I'm saying? Like, the, it it showed me, you know, the the advantages or certain advantages of not being locked in. You know, some people never leave their block. You know what I mean? Like that that happened. You know, I live in New York now. I work with a lot of kids who live in Harlem, and they they don't leave their projects. Like, not just right. their neighborhood. Like, they don't leave no. their projects. And they say I, they don't I, want to. I, I was out there. Them Amsterdam homes is big. It, it's a lot to do yep. around there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I don't knock them because it's like, yeah, of course you want to be in your community. I get that. I'm not saying what's wrong with right. you guys get out of your projects. But, you know, the that, that quote really resonated with me. People aren't just one thing because it's such a San Francisco thing to me, that phenomenon. You know, like I saw that movie, What's Up Rockers, which was a Larry Clark film about um like latino skaters and punk rockers in la and they did yeah. a good job characterizing how those guys were bullied because they were interested in different stuff right like those kids were from the hood they were from east la they were mexican kids from east la just like everybody else um but 
they like to skate and but drop. Those and, and are the kids that really get to experience their cities. Exactly. Yeah. No, I mean, that's hey, the point. But I think San Francisco, hey, I think, has a hold higher... On. Hold on, hold on, hold on. We can't... I'm going to stop you right there. What's up, Rockers? Those kids were Central American, bro. That's why that, that nuance made it different. They were like, hey, you Mexican kid. He's like, I ain't Mexican. I'm from Guatemala. <laughs> and then the other kid's like, I'm Salvi. So you got to you gotta remember, they weren't Mexican kids, bro. They were these Central American kids. That's so true. I think is I think... I, honestly, bro, can I just say one quick thing? I think the yeah, name yeah. of the game... The name of the game is nuance, and there's just all this different layers of stuff that they threw in here that was just so dope. The idea of, yeah, people aren't just one thing, man. And I think, um, you know what? I, it feels like, you know, like sleeping in the back of a car, like a couple characters in there are, are, are sleeping in the back of a car. Or um, I think the characters, just to kind of address one thing, because I want to get into this with you, uh, Russell, these guys are like sharing a room, right? The room yes. and about the director and Jimmy, uh, Joe Talbot and Jimmy. And I think when yeah. they were on hard times and one of them didn't have a place to stay, he would let the other dude crash and then they would alternate. One dude would be on the floor and one dude would be on the bed. And then when they would switch, oh, switch off and one dude would be back on the bed and one dude would be on the floor. And they're doing like the characters are kind of doing that in this movie, and they're kind of dealing with, you know, just kind of not having the home in this different way where they're kind of sharing what they have. And I thought that that part was really, really kind of unique. So as I said, as I said, gentlemen, to almost universal laughter, I have a lot of theories about this film, uh, and we've done a good job identifying uh, what they got right about San Francisco, but independent of this being a great film about San Francisco and all the themes that that raises about gentrification, uh, it's really a film about uh, masculinity. You know? I mean, I, I've, I've never seen uh, many of the things that I've thought about and questions I've had about being a man, being tough, being aggressive, fighting, uh, captured so well. So I don't know if you guys had that feeling, but I really was very, very moved by the deconstruction of like a scene of men arguing, one man you know, challenging his friend and saying he's not hard enough. Um, and another one, you know, trying to push back against that while still being perceived as soft. The amount of times, wait, I keep, is it Jimmy? Jimmy and Mike. Jimmy and Joe. Jimmy and Mike. Oh, Jimmy and Mike. The amount of times we see Jimmy um, consider going back to beat somebody's ass <laughs> and not doing it. You know what I mean? Think about that. And you know he's not sorry. Right. Right? He, like, he, he know, comes like, from the same background. Exactly. He can throw him. Like he was in football. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like he, he knows. Monty, I, you know, he's not interested in violence and he probably doesn't have a gift for it. But, uh, you know, I think Jimmy was different because Jimmy, we see him consider it and decide right. against it. And I, to me, that communicates, um, you know, uh, uh, self-assuredness about his masculinity where he feels like, well, I don't have to fight somebody for insulting me because I'm not worried about my masculinity being threatened. And we see the character who dies wrestling with it in his own way. And I thought he was a brilliant actor because you I see think, it in his face. 
where he knows he's. Being I think good. that's why Jimmy ahead, didn't Charlie. beat the brakes off him, just because Jimmy kind of knew his internal struggle because Jimmy had already won it. You know what I'm saying? Um, you know, he right. he asked him if he was still, you know, used to skateboard, woo woo, used dope at it, da 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 da. But instead of mm-hmm. like following his passion, he kind of like followed the crowd. You feel what I'm saying? And it was a beautiful, like, oversimplification of just, like, all the influences around you. Because while you standing around, and there, those conversations do happen. You know what I'm saying? There will be times that people just, you know, your own friends and loved ones will test you and, and put you in situations where you gotta hurt them. in in the in the in the in the idea that they are making you stronger, that they are making you tougher, and not only you but your crew, your hood will benefit from you know the you that come out on the other side of that. You know what I'm saying? Um, yeah. um, but I think it was I think it was a perfect way of like because while those conversations do happen, you know. It's not just that. It's also like what you see on TV, the music you listen to, uh, blah, blah, blah. You know what I'm saying? And I wish that it was some way that um, they could have kind of like reinforced that part. If they could have like had those dudes playing certain songs or reciting certain lyrics. You know what I'm saying? That would have been colloquial to us. You know what I mean? Uh, As San Franciscans. because a, a lot of the times that's how as kids we kind of built our identities and our mantras off of shit we heard in songs you know what i'm saying so um it was it was it was perfect in a lot of ways uh but left itself open for improvement in in so many others you know what i'm saying with with each or just further exploration deeper, deeper, deeper explanation. You know what I'm saying? Um, But at the same time, maybe it's good it didn't do that because then you kind of go too much into centralizing it in the San Francisco and maybe a smaller audience relates to it. You know what I'm saying? Um, True. And some of that is, is can be a cliche, too. You know, I mean, we all remember Spike Lee tried to make a TV show about San Francisco years ago. Uh, and I love Spike Lee. Obviously, he's a brilliant filmmaker, but he missed the mark. Uh, I think that's fair to say as San Franciscans. It didn't look like San Francisco to me. It looked like, you know, somebody who crowdsourced like, oh, let's get a bunch of hood cats in here. Like, what songs should we play at this moment? And, you know, what kind of slang should we use? And he did a lot of that to make it feel local, but it didn't work because it felt forced. And I think that same thing, you know, to your point, might have happened if they decided to try to prove that point. Because there are a lot of social pressures independent of music, television, independent of, you know, just the black community at all, all communities. There is a message in masculinity, whether you're a frat boy or a hood cat, um, that that violence and you know defending your own honor to to save face yeah, it's part is of, a, a central yeah. part of masculinity. Yeah, and and it doesn't matter. You know the rich kids deal with that too. Yes. You know what I mean? Like it's not unique to a San Francisco experience or you know people who grow up in the hood or whatever. And I, I think that's a very important point. And that's part of the reason why Jimmy is a hero, and we like him because if you think about it, 
Same thing happens to Spider-Man all the time. You know what I mean? He's getting bullied or messed with, and it'd be very easy for him to fuck him right. up. You know, but you know, wait, how does it go? To whom much is right, given, right. you know, whatever. <laughs> that, that, that With great goal. power comes great responsibility. Actually, great power, great power comes great responsibility. Well, that's what I mean. <laughs> well you know, in, in any case, in any case um, that's why he's the hero. Because I mean, think about what that what he what that guy was saying. That guy was saying, "Your dad is a crackhead," which is like obviously Jimmy's central issue is his like shame and, and mixed feelings about his father's struggles, you know. And that's the thing that would set him off. But he had grown from that, and that's what drew Monty in. That's what Monty was interested in. And and the the, the brilliance of the scene when those guys are arguing on the block, and Monty approaches them and pretends to be a director, mm-hmm. right? He says, "Oh, you're, you're doing great. Just just push it a little more. Oh, you know." It's it's a brilliant scene. Like, I, be- right. I believe you. Right. Like, yeah, I believe he, he you. know he acted. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. But it's such it's it's operating on the level. I mean, it's many different levels there. But the main one is this is performative. Masculinity right. is performative. You know, we talk a lot about that in gender politics and gender identity and stuff. But like he Monty was smart enough and savvy enough to know like y'all this is a play. Right. This is something that you. To perform in order to affirm your masculinity right now and he what better way to diffuse the situation to act like a weirdo i learned that a long time ago you know but you know monty arguably and i'm probably not alone here monty might have been the best character uh, in the movie, man you know like far, oh, yeah. if you if you if you, if you yeah. really think about like uh so monty uh opens up his home, you know, his grandfather is a blind man. He sits and literally explains the movies, uh, you know, that his grandfather yeah. can remember, but no longer see to him. You know what I'm saying? Um, yeah. He creates art uh, in the attempt to humanize and, um, and mm-hmm. out of respect for uh, his community members, you know what I'm saying? And he uh, is loyal as fuck to Jimmy's like ridiculous uh, insistence on um, constantly, um, you know, doing upkeep on his family's old home, which is another specifically San Francisco. If you are black or brown and your family lives or has lived in uh the southeast Hunters Point Visitation Valley, you know, the south of uh, end of San Francisco, it's a good chance they probably built that house. You know what I'm saying? My grandma, my grandmother came here from Texas in the uh, early '60s, and she worked 16-hour days living in a tin roof shack in the back of somebody's house. Um, and she bought empty plots of land and she built houses. Uh, if you know, if you're from San Francisco, you know about Bishop Corner. She came to California with Curly Bishop's family. You know what I'm saying? She helped build Bishop's Corner and Bishop helped build, uh, you know, what was my family home. You know what I'm saying? And like, uh, and like Turk Barrett, uh, in, in this film, uh, my dad lost uh, yep. the family home. You know what I'm saying? Well, he didn't lose it completely before 
Uh, he lost a complete knee. My grandmother came and like cleared all the debts, but she then sold the house because uh, she was super disappointed. And my dad just didn't want to leave it in his hands to fully fuck off. And so, um, mm-hmm. you know, that is a very San Francisco story too. like black families, brown families uh, having uh, like history, having blood in the soil in that way. You know, uh, all the streets in Hunters yeah. Point and in the southern end of San Francisco being named after residents who brought bought uh, plots of land and who made impacts on the community. You know what I'm saying? Um, I That's thought cool. it was super interesting. I thought it was something funny about uh, him saying his grandfather built uh, that house uh, simply because it was in yeah. Fillmore. <laughs> and uh, that kind of predates the no black problem. ownership. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know. Well, that, if that's a fascinating point, too, and this is extra spoiler alert, Jimmy's grandpa didn't build the <laughs> right. house, guys. You don't find out. Right. Any but Jimmy's grandpa, didn't. every family has lies like that, that we kind of know our lies or maybe we don't or they come out later. But that one was particularly telling for me, um, and this is kind of back to the point of what we call gentrification, whatever we're calling that now, uh, because you know his insistence was, hey, they talked about Japanese internment. They said this neighborhood, this was right. Japanese people. You know, FDR came during World War II, rounded up Japanese people, put them in internment camps, and Jimmy says, and my <laughs> grandfather didn't want to live in the house of someone right. who was interned, so he right. built his own. So, you know, in a lot of ways. It was a family lie that served right. their interest. Oh, because like, oh, we, good our people. family was they complicit were. in the bullshit. They were. They were. You know what I'm saying? And that point, that point to me kind of reveals this larger point about levels of gentrification, like who, quote unquote, belongs here. When you're like us, we're natives, right? So we say like, all right, well, if you weren't born here, you know, like, are you really a native or whatever? But then what does that say? If you're an immigrant, let's say you came here, you know, Josue came here and he's a little kid, right? Does that mean he's less of a San Franciscan? No. And then I look at other levels of gentrification um, and, you know, previous generations of people who came here. People come here for the same reason that the naked guy came here. They have a lifestyle, they have a dream, and San Francisco is the place that can accommodate it. And I, I use this example all the time when we talk about gentrification. Castro, right. right? Like, we're really proud of that. I'm very proud to be from San Francisco, which was a place that was one of the first places in the country to say it is safe to come here and be gay, right? You can live your life, you can be out, you can be public, and you can build a gay community. It's one of the things I love about San Francisco. I'm not alone in that. However, the Castro used to be a working class right. neighborhood. It got gentrified. That was where, <laughs> and it got gentrified. But it got gentrified before, right? You know, we say the same thing about the hippies. Oh, we love the hippies in San Francisco, man. Summer of love. Well, guess what? Hey, Ashbury was a black district. It was it was just another part yeah, of the that's, that's where know? my so stepfather is from. So Yeah. And exactly. they still so have what are we saying? Are we saying, oh, we shouldn't have in here? We shouldn't have the hippies? It's like that's that's stuff that we love and embrace. San Francisco is seven miles by seven miles. There's only so much room for people. When if you open your doors, just like America, it's just like the anti-immigrant argument. It's like, oh, we don't have enough you know, this and that, or new people shouldn't come. It's like, well, where do you draw the line? Who do you want? Who don't you want? I know that the, you know, the current circumstance is different because it's all rich people, right? It's all people who made a lot of money in tech and they're displacing poor people. And that's a different argument. You know, those gay kids who took a Greyhound bus 
from the south so that they could have a place to be safe or whatever from their small town. Um, they, they didn't have a lot of resources. They built them once they got here. People who, you know, are coders at Google or whatever, they were doing all right when they got here. And I know that's a different layer, but that point says like, whose is it? You think it's, you know, black people who came from the south uh, after or during World War II, you know, quote unquote, belong here. Well, guess what? There were already Japanese people there and they got displaced by the government. And right. people, you know what I'm saying? Like there is a culpability there. And I think that point was important because we all, you know, it's kind of like that cliche about, you know, question your privilege or whatever. That goes all the way down. Everybody needs to, you know, acknowledge your privilege or whatever, no matter, you know, what, what rate you're at. Just the fact that you're born on American soil, you're born privileged. And I thought this film did a good job acknowledging that and not just saying, you know, black people in San Francisco are victims who built the city. It's like, well, you know what? There were victims before that. You know what I'm saying? Whole Sway made the point. What about the Ohlone people? You know what I'm saying? It always comes back to the indigenous people, but that's real. The only ones that really have a quote unquote claim to this land are the people who were here before any, you know, colonial entities showed up. But that's a different <laughs> show. <laughs> I just wanted to make was, that point about it was, um, it was super striking to me. Like, so my stepfather, uh, still has the family home, uh, my papa's house in uh, Fillmore or the Upper Hate uh, is on uh, Oak and Stanyon, like prime real estate, my guy. You feel what I'm saying? It's a three-story, like multi-unit home uh, worth the big bank. And uh, every here and again, we go back there to do some upkeep on the house and, you know, some cleaning and stuff. And I went back there with my brothers and my step pop and we was doing some cleaning and just like the level of looks and the level of questions and the level like of who we were, why we were there. Was this house going on the market? You know what I'm saying? Uh, <laughs> it was, uh, it was super crazy. And you were and I was, Charlie, yeah, I was Jimmy in that situation. You know what I'm saying? And it was super weird to uh, like watch him do that in the movie, but know that he his family no longer had the home. And then when you find out later in the movie that he had only lived there up until the age of 12, like, and that she had literally owned, the white woman had literally owned the home for as much time as he had spent in it. You know what I'm saying? And you saw her yeah. tears and her emotions and her connection to the house. You know what I'm saying? Um, you know, you start, before you find out that Jimmy's granddad uh, didn't build that house, you start to have some questions about like his rightful ownership. You feel what I'm saying? And yeah. um, and uh, it it wasn't they didn't guide you one way or the other. Like they just told the story and kind of let you come to your own conclusions. You know what I'm saying? Uh, I think that's, that's one of the real beauties of the film and the successes. You know, I I went to I, I saw it today at the New Mission Theater. I still call it New Mission, uh, the Alamo Draft House. Uh, it was great. I had a wonderful experience. That's another. That's its own gentrification <laughs> conversation. Is, you know that movie theater. Gentrification, <laughs> pretty cool shit. You know what are you gonna do? You know what are you gonna not do? Right. So, but I saw it with 
but we all we all know Ella. Um, that's Cliff's daughter. She's 15 years old now. She's a high school student. And I wanted to see it with her because she's a San Francisco native, uh, but she's a young person, right? So when we talk about this, we're all talking about nostalgia. Oh, I remember when this used to be that and this changed and that's that. And we forget, you know, it's like, you know, there are kids now who are 15 who came up in that world and they have their own connection and love of this place. Like to her, the new Mission Theater, that's her neighborhood theater. She lives in the Mission. You know what I mean? She doesn't think what Josue does. Damn, this used to be a dusty ass trap where we could watch Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles for $5 or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, no, I mean, it was still my neighborhood theater. That's exactly what it was. And that's, that is what I thought. <laughs> Ninja Turtles, to use an example, which apparently isn't accurate. No, it was actually, literally, that's it. <laughs> but I wanted to see it with her to get her read on it, because another really interesting thing about Ella is that, you know, she's raised by parents who are like, you know, very conscious people. You know what I'm saying? They're like very progressive people. and the the response from her has been like you know especially her mom you know Carolyn you know Carolyn very well Charlie she she works at City Hall she's fighting for all these progressive initiatives but Ella's response because she's a young person is like I'm tired of going to protests I'm tired of going to poetry readings I'm not going to any more you know what I'm saying she's stating her independence she's like that that stuff's corny to me right so I was curious what her read on this movie would be and she said you know what initially I didn't want to go see it because my mom was so excited to see it because she thought it was about gentrification and it was going to be this woke political movie. And Ella was like, I don't want to see stuff like that anymore. I'm over it. Like, I understand those issues. I don't need anybody to, you know, lecture me about it. And she said the success of the film and the reason she did like it is that it wasn't, quote unquote, about gentrification. It wasn't a film where, you know, everything is, you know, painted on the wall in big red letters. It's a subtle film about friendship and masculinity and place and home that illuminates many of those themes without beating you over the head with them. And I, you know, I wanted to ask you, Josue, because you've done so much work in the Mission District around what we call gentrification. You know, did you feel like, you know, this film needed to be more overt about what displacement is and what gentrification is and be more of a woke political film? Or is it more effective, you know, because it was just a, a, a film about friendship and home or, or neither of those? What, what are your thoughts on that, Josue? All right. All right. So this is what I'm going to say. I Firstly, remind me to tell you the Sandy Close connection before I finish. Word. But we just recently had, so I run a nonprofit called Axio Latina, and we brought together this group called Los Siete. Los Siete celebrated its 50th anniversary uh, this last couple months, um, this, this year. And so Los Siete, what, it had a connection with all of this stuff, it's been happening, it's been 50 years of an anniversary. We've been dealing with gentrification for 50 years. And they were talking about the birth of BART, what BART brought to the mission, right? And so we had this panel with all these elders and they were talking about what brought people together. And this is one thing that really shocked me. Here's one thing that all of these movements have in common, right? Black Panthers, the Stonewall Riots, Los Siete, Black Lives Matter um, and several other movements. I forget what the other ones were. The one thing that they all got in common is that they were reactions of people of color against police brutality, right? Stonewall, police brutality. Black Panthers was a Black Panther party for self-defense against police brutality. Los Siete, seven Central American men in the mission who were blamed of killing a police officer, which they did not do, 
that was police brutality because the police were overstepping their authority and blaming these young people. Stonewall, right? Police cr uh, cracking down on homosexuals and uh, uh, the gay clubs, and it became a movement. So uh, Black Lives Matter. So it, that leads us back into now. So <clears throat> police brutality is it's an enforced something, right? It's not enforcing the law. It's enforcing, in a very real way, erasure of real peoples. And people are reacting against that, and they're being galvanized uh, towards this thing. And I think in many ways, it's against this erasure. So I'm, I know I'm being very, very political at this very moment, but I think it's absolutely true. I think change is meant to happen, and it's going to happen in cities, and it's going to happen in neighborhoods, and it's supposed to happen. I think that change at this speed and in the way that it's happening, it's, it, it's an enforced change. And it's an enforced erasure. And I don't think that it's natural. And I think it's jarring. We should be shocked at what's happening. We should be shocked at how, quote unquote, nice San Francisco is, uh, especially if it's not for, right? The question is, is who for who, right? For who is it nicer, quote unquote? And so we have to ask those questions, man. And, um, and I do think that feeling this sense of alienation is natural. Right, I think the character Jimmy goes through this like need, right, even to the extent of making up a story or believing a story that isn't all the way true. This need to gap this alienation, right? This this uh, this need to bridge this 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 not belonging with this story, you know. And I think that that was really powerful because we do tell ourselves that, right? It's like, oh, I've been here since way longer, or I've been here since before, or and I think it's important to. To have those conversations, um, I also think it's really important for us to hold our values sacred as San Franciscans. So, we San Francisco is a great place to be yourself. And if a bunch of people who don't believe that come to San Francisco, then it's no longer a great place to be yourself. So we have to really draw the line uh, on letting people know what our values are, at the very least being vocal about what our values are and what makes San Francisco special. And I think that movie does this. This movie does that. It celebrates that in a way that doesn't preach. You know, it's not, it's not, um, it's not propagandistic in that sense. And so I hear Ella, I hear what Ella's saying. I just wanted to, um, I just wanted to jump in on what you just said about it being unnatural, like the kind of how how there's always kind of like an evolutionary shift in uh, populations and places and how what we experience in now is unnatural. Um, it's like what we are experiencing is like a human climate change. It's like uh, it's uh, it's uh, it's wow. it's like um, an unnatural uh, progression completely called it's man-made you know what I'm saying um and it's kind of uh yeah. enforced by one population on another it's it's uh but we don't outside of like uh rich and poor populations and uh like strong governments and weaker uh populations you know those are the only two areas where that kind of behavior is, 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 is accepted anymore, except when you break it down to like these small micro neighborhood levels, what we call gentrification. You know what I'm saying? Mm, yeah, no, that's a good point. That's a good point. 
I do want to, Josue, I want you to give this Andy Close shout out. And I know we're taking turns interrupting you now, but you made a point that I really want to zero in on that I didn't realize until you said it. There's no cops in this movie, man. That's that's wild. You know, we're talking about dispensing with tropes and cliches, and it's not like it's not important to acknowledge the police presence in neighborhoods, especially in a story like this, but that must have been intentional. I mean, most certainly it's intentional. Mm. Think about all the community movies we think of. When you think about poor people, you think about displacement, you think about people of color, you always have the cop. And sometimes he's an outright villain, like in Boys in the Hood, uh, just purely evil. Uh, and sometimes it's, you know, kind of nebulous. It's just a, a presence, a representation of the state. But we didn't see one SFPD officer in this film. That is just worth noting. That's all. I just want to say it. And I, I don't know if I like it. I don't know if I dislike it. Uh, but I, I, it feels intentional. And I'm leaning towards liking it at this point. Because <laughs> you don't want to bite off more than you can chew. You know what I mean? That That issue is so big that it could have muddied what is again a story about friendship and turned it into a political story which is what it avoided successfully and why ella liked it and why it tells this story in a in a richer way that's more accessible to people but small point whole sway shout out to sandy close hit us what's the story shout out to sandy close so i worked at new america as we all did for many many years and my last week sandy's like okay you gotta go you know uh, I'm going to start like five different projects for you to do on your last week. So, you Classic. know, and so, so it was just really amazing. And one of the things that she said was like, okay, uh, I was on my way to go interview Ted Pashinsky. She's like, all right, that's great. Let's do that. She's like, take this kid with you. You know, he should come and, and help you do a documentary. He has a great idea for a film himself. It's Jimmy fails. <laughs> so Jimmy, the star of the film, comes with me to hang out and so he's telling me what his project is and he said my grandpa built this house in the Fillmore and we ended up losing it and I want to do a film about it and it's going to be a documentary and I'm like that's great let's do it and of course we didn't have time to do it because I was leaving in like three or four days I forget what it was but we interviewed Ted Pichinsky we did some stories uh, and some shots of um some shots of the Bayview for different projects that we were doing and we were able to build. And I just was so proud of Jimmy because I didn't know where this film was going when he was describing it to me back in 2013. But I know that they raised money uh, doing Kickstarter and it was really kind of modest beginnings, but it became this thing that a lot of people got behind and supported. So shout out to a lot of people who make that happen. Uh, I know Joe Talbot and his, his folks are connected to Sandy. And so <clears throat> props for, a real San Francisco family making this thing happen. But um, I think that Sandy's like uh, the NWA of creative people in the Bay Area. Like if you trace, if you trace the tree long enough and, and back down to its roots. It- yeah. I was going to say that um, he's an alumnus. Like I was, I was going, I was going to end off with that in case folks <laughs> didn't know that he was like an alumnus. Uh, I was, I was watching his interviews, yeah. uh, yeah. He came out of the same creative primordial ooze that he did. <laughs> right. Right, I'm, man. I'm proud to be in that graduating class hey, of New American Media. <laughs> Sandy, Sandy, Sandy is a tastemaker yeah. well, when it um, comes to these, uh, first when of these all, folks of talent out of San Francisco. It's true, man. And when this film inevitably wins Best Picture at the Academy Awards, 
Sandy will then have two Academy Awards. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I, I'm not exaggerating because I'm from San Francisco. I'm biased or anything like I think this should just be best picture. Like, I know that's a crazy statement and there's a long year ahead of us, but like, it's not just a good story. It's not just good acting. I it's have excellent never, filmmaking. It's, I have it's never special, man. been so elated slash exasperated leaving a movie in my life. And I'm actually happy that all of the San Francisco showings were sold out when I tried to get tickets. I ended up watching it at the Grand Lake Theater. And I don't think yeah. I could have taken. I don't think I could have took watching it in San Francisco. I would have, I would have left. It might have been too much. I, I would have I left. Really I would have left the city like today. that. Bernie Mac, you I, just slapping yeah, motherfuckers I left and right. Socialized. So, first of all, this has been a fantastic conversation. I think we hit all the points you wanted to. But I can't leave without stepping on a landmine and talking about something I really want to talk about, which is sexuality and sexual identity in this film. Um, it is uh, perfectly ambiguous in this film what many characters' sexual identity is and even the nature of their relationships. Halfway through the film, and I want to hear what you guys think about this because this might just be a theory that I'm uh, projecting onto the film, but I, I really felt that... Uh, halfway through the film it was a very strong possibility uh that they were a couple you know that they weren't just best friends uh and that they were a couple and and my expectation of the play you know because he said oh there's a surprise at the end of the play i want to do it on the spot i thought it had something to do with you know uh monty's uh resentment of jimmy having fears about being open about their relationship, if it was a romantic relationship. I really thought it was going to go that direction. And I really felt that the character who was killed, again, could be crazy projections, but I think there's something there at least to talk about. I felt that the character that was killed, part of the reason maybe that Monty saw something in him and invited him to the home is that I, I thought he may have been gay or, or you know, identified as gay or whatever, um, and that that was going to be a threat in the film. And then when it wasn't a threat in the film, um, I was, I don't want to say I was relieved, but I was like, well, that in its own way, if you're making a San Francisco movie, is its own cliche or trope. You know what I mean? Like, not that it's not important to acknowledge the gay community and the role of the gay community here. Um, and it kind of takes away from, if, if they were a couple, it kind of takes away from the power of their platonic relationship, which is like they really were just best friends. But I want to put it to the group just as a test to see if I'm off base here, or if I'm just making this up and projecting it. Did either of you have any thoughts along those lines? Or, or, you know, there is a lot, there is homophobic language. You know, a lot of those guys on the block were making fun of them. Most of what they were making fun of them for was, you know, saying that they were gay or that they were a couple. Am I off base here in this theory? Is there, is there something there? Either you guys, Josue, Charlie, thoughts? Am I crazy? You know, I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of room for like tenderness in the movie. There's a lot of expressions of tenderness um, between men in, in different ways, right? So like him expressing grief, everyone expressing grief in different ways and then like hugging it out and all these kind of different things. And certainly between Danny Glover and the boys in different ways. Um, so I feel like I would have caught some sort of tenderness between them that was a little bit beyond platonic. So I would maybe just, you know, I would pay attention to that piece. 
but I think the information that I got was from an article that I read, and it was about um, what I knew, what I knew about Jimmy, and that was that the story was that he and Joe, the director, um, they would switch off, like I mentioned before, uh, like sleeping over, and then they would just switch off on one on the floor and one on the bed. And I think it just had to do more with like the resource of like, I have a place to stay yeah. and I'll share it with you. Um, and so I think in I, what I actually think, I think, and this is more about race and identity and friendship is I think that Montgomery's character is actually Joe Talbot. Oh, okay. So I think that he is, he's kind of standing for this white character in Jimmy's life or in Jimmy's story. Like, I think the play can kind of be the film. Yeah. Right? So, and the film is telling him, like, check it out. This isn't, this, your story isn't told. As, I'm just um, kind of guessing here. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I'm doing the same thing. And I know that there are a lot of, mis- there are a lot of assumptions in, in this theory of mine, which you, you brought up, Josue, which is like, just because these men have this strong friendship that is intimate and tender, you know, uh, assuming that it's gay or thinking that it's gay, is just as harmful potentially as the guys who were making fun of them on the street. And I don't want to fall into that trap. I just, my theory was it doesn't matter. Maybe they were, or maybe they weren't, but the fact that it wasn't necessarily addressed head on, I kind of liked at least the ambiguous um, nature of it. You know, Charlie, what were you saying? For me, I think I didn't get that vibe at all from like Jimmy and Mott, but from a light skinned dude, the dude who ended up getting killed, Kali. Uh, I felt like it was kind of, and maybe purposefully left open, kind of ambiguous. There were just subtle ways. I I was just going to say really quickly, like he, in the scene where he's being accused of being soft, right? Um, You see his stature. So he's like a big dude, Right. right? So it's not like he's getting picked on because he's small or he's weak or something, right? He's a big dude. He's much bigger than the dude who tells him to punch him. And I think that's like he's not – he doesn't assert his size. He doesn't assert his uh, yeah. his 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 physique in that way. And I think uh, for the smaller dude, you know what I'm saying, uh, it might have been a little bit of like little man complex there. Just like, you know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. I, I, being a smaller dude, I know that I've had to, on occasion, kind of step outside myself and do things I necessarily I didn't want to do. But I felt like long term, if I did them, folks would know not to fuck with me. You know what I'm saying? So um, mm. um, I, I, I got that. You know what I'm saying? Um, and, and with yeah. Jimmy and Mont, I, I really loved and appreciated like the uh like Josue said kind of the tenderness and uh the genuine like love and beauty of their friendship and it it brought me it, it reminded me of friendships that I've had with friends you know uh I'm, so as as the movie ended uh Kriya looked at me and she was like, that's your story. And um, a lot of different scenes, like 
uh, were scenes out of my life, scenes I could heavily relate to, like having a, a house that you, and for me, I didn't have to go anywhere to see it. Like I, I stayed in Hunter's Point for the most part uh, up until I didn't. And I would pass by not one, but like multiple homes that my grandparents on both sides uh, and parents uh, owned and lost at different points. You know what I'm saying? And, um, you know, it always been a goal of mine as I was when I was younger to like get those houses back. And it wasn't until I was maybe like 27 or 28 when I realized like I would have to ball all the way the fuck out. And what's most likely is that I'll never have the money to like buy those homes. So like I have to rebuild kind of that legacy. I have to, you know, rebuild like the kind of family home thing. Like I have to provide that for my kids. I won't be able to kind of rely on previous generations for that. And so, um, um, you know, there's that, there's the scene where he was sitting on the bus and looked up and his mom was in front of him. Like that exact thing has happened to me before. I've seen my mom, uh, for the first time, like after a year or a couple years on a bus, I've seen my mom for the first time after a year or a couple years in jail. Um, we happen to have court the same day. You know what I'm saying? Like, um, um, uh, yeah. it, it was, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I really, I think that the, 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 I, I think if you really start, if you think about our story, if you think about our stories respectively, and we've known each other a long time, so I feel like I have. You if know, you remember Cash uh, and Dom, a, a pretty good understanding of our respective stories. You remember Cash and Dom? I used to uh-huh. crash on the floors at their houses. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Of course. Of course. Yeah. And so, like, uh, yeah. and and uh, yeah. you know, yeah. but Dom I, in particular and I had a very—I uh, wouldn't have characterized it as tender then. You know what I'm saying? But uh, I. It's, it's rare that you experience with a man uh, the level of uh, vulnerability and trust that I had with that dude, which is why I named my youngest son after him. You know what I'm saying? Um, so I I thought it was beautiful that you was able to see like that tenderness and that level of friendship like kind of captured without sexuality being thrown into it. Um, but but. At the same time, I do feel like like the question was explored though with Kali's character. Because um, when he was sitting up in the sauna with them, it was super cool. He was chilling, blah, 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 blah. But then the next day or whatever, when he was with the dudes, he literally called out that moment. And was like, y'all be sitting up there naked yeah. with each other like some faggots. Woo, 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 woo. You feel what I'm saying? Uh, oh, yeah, he was there. yeah, right. And like he had he his was, own. But he didn't. Yeah. He didn't. You know, <laughs> he he left that part out. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> he didn't say we. Yeah. No, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Was sitting there butt ass naked. He said, y'all. The ears. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Uh, it's an important point, and I think I think you're right. If there's anything, if, if there's any character, if there's uh, a person there to have a discussion about sexuality or presentation or insecurity or whatever, I think it might be his his character. 
the the one the one who died. I'm obviously gonna watch this movie, you know, right. ten more times. Uh, so I'll be looking more closely <laughs> for those kind of clues. You know, I just thought it's a big part of masculinity. Whether or not those characters were gay is kind of irrelevant. It's a big part of masculinity. This thing that we grow up with, with the fear of being perceived as gay. No matter how you feel about gay people, even if you know what I'm saying, even if you're not homophobic, there is still such a strong energy among men and such a part of masculinity. Distance yourself from tenderness, things that I we think, would want to do. Yeah, I think that's a you lot of mean? it is that's how we're introduced to the idea of homosexuality. Uh is presented to us as something soft or something like uh you know, less than, than manly. Like that's, you know, the first time you hear the word is probably somebody accusing you of being it uh, for you not doing something uh, masculine enough. You feel what I'm saying? Yeah, exactly. And it's really, it's a message that so many of us get that is really, uh, I mean, it's awful. It's, it's one of the things about masculinity that, that limits us. It's one of the, there are a lot of great things about masculinity which is why I always push back against the phrase toxic masculinity, because there's, you know, there's another side to it that, that, you know, uh, should be celebrated. But one part of it that really is so damaging is that fear and distancing around sexuality that prevents us from having meaningful, intimate relationships like, you know, like we saw in the film. Um, I want to. It's also this, crazy, first of all, though, that like some episode. of the most homophobic societies you find in the world also have room for like tender male interact like arab dudes friends walk around holding hands and shit you know what i'm saying um they yeah. you know it's a human thing you know what i'm saying like we love each other you know what i'm saying we gotta find a way right. to it, you know sometimes that might be slapped off maybe that's the best way we can <laughs> that's all we got that's all, yeah, yeah, that's fine. all, that's all we you. get <laughs> Fine. Yeah, I can I can work with that. Um, all right. I, I want to thank you guys. This has been a fantastic conversation. It really did. This film filled my heart. It gave me so much to think about. And it's kind of like seeing it again, talking to you guys, you know, people who I, I love and care about, who I know had similar experiences and, and different experiences. This has really been a personal joy for me. Uh, for our listeners, thank you for staying with us. If you've seen the film, uh, I, I really, I, I'm I, if you haven't seen the film, I encourage you to go see it right now, even if you there were spoilers. Spoilers are meaningless in this film. Um, it is really touching, even if you're not from San Francisco. It's a beautiful film. Uh, I can't wait again until it inevitably wins every Academy Award um, this year. So thanks to you guys, both of you, Jose and Charlie, for coming in for this conversation. Thanks, as always, to Eming, our producer who really had a night tonight, man. We, we thank you for hanging in there. You, we get to chatter and laugh, and you're the one who has to make sure this all comes together. We love you. We appreciate you. Thank you to our fearless leader, Eman, our producer. Uh, and thanks to all our listeners, of course, as always. And until next time, Quest On, everybody. This episode of Quest On Media's Margin Call was produced in Richmond, California.